Good morning. Welcome to church. Back in uh, October, November, we did a short series. I, I think it was a three-part series on the book of Philippians. We dug into this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi that centers around this beautiful poem in chapter two, which describes the nature and the character and the mindset of Christ. It's one of these core passages in terms of developing our understanding of who Jesus is, of what he was like. It's one of these foundational pieces of scripture that we build our theology out of. But also, it's a foundational piece of scripture to build our practical living out of, our, our own posture and behavior out of, as Paul calls us to imitate Christ, to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who... This is from uh, Philippians 2, starting at verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being a found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And out of this poem, uh, we see a bunch of different ideas thrown together in the letter. It covers a ton of ground very quickly, but everything anchors back to this having the mindset of Jesus. And that letter has been on my heart and my mind in the months since the series. Um, and there was one more concept or idea that I wanted to come back to and sit with a little bit. So today, this is sort of an epilogue or, or maybe a quick dive back into the book of Philippians and taking a look at what Paul has to say to us here in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a packed letter. I've talked about that before. Paul is closing up the letter. It feels like he's kind of trying to land the plane here. And he wrote this from prison. So it well may be that he was running out of time. Uh, he only had a couple of minutes left maybe to dictate what he wanted to say. And that's kind of what it feels like. There's so much stuff here. It's this sort of shotgun spray of all these huge important ideas in just single sentences. You could spend months if you wanted to in the book of Philippians, just walking through all of these simple sayings. But we looked at Philippians 4 verse 4 back in, I guess it was uh, back in November. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we looked at what it means to rejoice in God. And today we're looking one verse ahead. We're looking at the words that immediately follow that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So as we dig into that, I want to open up this time in prayer. God, you are good. You are the giver of good things. You are the giver of good gifts. And you have been gentle to us. You have been gentle with us. You have given us grace and patience and mercy. You have also modeled for us what it looks like to be gracious, patient, merciful, gentle uh, through Jesus Christ. As we look into this letter from Paul, as we explore what it means to be biblically gentle 
why that's important for us, why we're called to that. Be with us. I pray that your Holy Spirit is active in each of us individually and somehow in all of us as a group, even though we're in separate living rooms and houses all over our communities here, that you would be working together with us as a church body, as a community to discern your truth and your wisdom out of your word in your name. Amen. The world does not train us to be gentle, does it? In our schools, in our careers, in sports, we're not taught gentleness. We're taught aggression, assertiveness, competition, right? I heard a pastor make a joke that when a sports team at the beginning of a game huddles up for a team cheer, uh, it's never 3-2-1, be gentle. It's always, I don't know, 3-2-1, kill them, or 3-2-1, destroy I, I did not play a lot of organized sports as a kid, as you may have guessed about me, but but I imagine this is about how it goes. It's it's one of those things where we're not, we don't play gentle. It's not what we're trying to achieve. We don't drive gentle. We don't work gently. Our world is built around a sort of a dog-eat-dog, winner-take-all, zero-sum game structure. But the gospel, the kingdom of God, has something else to say to us. It counters what the world tells us. It says that violence and aggression are not the things that are going to change the world. Instead, the gentleness of God, the gentleness of God as expressed specifically through our lives, is what's going to change the world, is what God has chosen to use in order to change our world. As I mentioned earlier, and I've mentioned this many times throughout this series on Philippians that we're jumping back into, Paul wrote this from prison. Uh, and I mentioned that it's important because it, it, it gives an additional weight, I think, to his words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's saying those words while awaiting a possible death sentence. He's saying those words while we believe literally chained to a Roman guard. And it's amazing to me. It's just another reminder of, of how it's so often those who have gone through the most pain, who have been through difficult times, who have lived difficult lives, who have the best perspective on joy and on gentleness and on hope. Isn't that true? The, the most inspirational, most powerful, most real expressions of hope and joy so often come from people who have walked through very dark and very difficult times. And it's an important reminder that these attributes, things like joy, things like hope, things like gentleness, aren't so much about our situation or our circumstances. They're about our perspective. They're about our mindset, right? They're about our focus on the midst, in the midst of these things. And that's what this book, Philippians, keeps bringing us back to. It's not about who we are. It's not about where we are. It's not about what's happening to us. It's about adopting the mindset of Christ. And so we have this one verse that we want to cover within that context. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
And I want to start with that word all. All means all. It means everyone. Uh, it's sort of maybe a little bit of a code word in the New Testament. When, when, when you hear someone like Paul talking about each other, Paul talks a lot about what we do for and with each other. There he's primarily talking about how we treat uh, each other, how we interact within the church, within our church body and community, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then this word all shows up sometimes, and he's intentionally widening the circle. He's speaking about people inside the church potentially, but especially he's speaking about those who are outside of the church, who are outside of our church community. Places significant emphasis on our gentleness being known to everybody in and out of the church. And so starting off, I want to ask you a question. This is the question. Generally in North America, if you were to survey people on the street, if you were to talk to people who are not regular churchgoers, who are not affiliated or associated with the church, and you would ask them to define church, if you said you have one word or one phrase to define what you think of when you think of church, what word do you think they would use? Uh, I want to be clear here, by the way, that you're allowed to say a positive word. This isn't meant to be uh, completely negative necessarily. Of course, I think many of us understand that there may be negative words come up, but negative or positive, either way, what word do you think people think of? What do they think of when they think of church? If you would pull a random person aside on the street, what would they think? All right, I want to right away ask you another question. I want to focus in a little bit, actually focus in a lot, and ask that same question about our specific church community. If you were to ask people in our communities, in Rosenort, Low Farm, Morris, people who are familiar with or aware of, in some way, Pleasant Valley and what we do, and if you were to ask them, to, in one word, describe what they think of when they think of Pleasant Valley. I'm curious what you think that word might be. All right, thank you for your answers. Um, it's an interesting thing to kind of ask that question sometimes and to try and process how do people see us? How how does the world, how do all view church and view our church? Um, Paul's statement here in Philippians tells us that if the word gentleness is never coming up, that is not a part of what people think about when they think about church. It's not what we're known for. Then we have some work to do in this area. And this is something that we need to continue to work to cultivate. And I want to be clear here, as we get into this, that I think Pleasant Valley, our church, has historically been very good at this. And we continue to be good at this. I want to recognize that there is a, a heritage of gentleness here. I remember, I, I might have told this story before in a sermon, but I remember when Aaron and I had not been very, uh, not been at Pleasant Valley very long, maybe a couple of months certainly still didn't know everybody. We're still kind of getting used to the church. And we, along with uh, Mike and Alyssa, 
me and Mike and Alyssa were a part of a worship group in Bible college called Free Servant. That's SBC's worship group. And we kind of got the old band back together, or part of it, to come to play in church. And so we gathered up uh, some friends from college, a bassist and a drummer and a few others, and and got together to play. And I hadn't been here long at Pleasant Valley, but I knew already that the volume of music that we were going to play and the sort of bass and drums and amount of low end that we were bringing into the building was was more than on an average Sunday, was more than they might have been used to. And so uh, we played the set and it was good. The set, uh, we played we played worship music for the church um, service and, and it went well. And, and we were in the foyer after the service and we were looking around and chatting with people and chatting with the youth who of course enjoyed uh, the music and I lock eyes with this senior uh, senior gentleman across the room across the foyer um, it was Frank I don't even know if I knew your name yet at that time Frank but I uh, saw this man make eye contact with me and then begin his sort of chart a path through the crowd across the foyer and I got uh, pretty nervous in that moment started to tense up because I had a pretty good idea of what I thought he was going to be coming over to give me a report on. Um, and and Aaron and I, when we transferred churches, we transferred out of a church that we loved. We loved going to our previous church and we were involved in it and it was very good. But certainly there was a sense in which if the music was too loud or if uh, the order of service got jumbled up in a way that somebody didn't appreciate, then you would hear about it. You, they, they were quick to let you know if something wasn't the way they were hoping it would be. And so here I figured uh, that this man, that Frank was coming over to uh, give me a piece of his mind about maybe that that was a bit inappropriate, the sort of music that we played. And he showed up and he sort of walked over with a bit of a glint in his eye and and uh, the beginnings of a smirk. And he shook my hand. Remember when we used to shake hands? And he uh, looked me in the eye and he said, you know, he said, that's a bit louder than I'm used to. But boy, was it good. It was nice. I enjoyed worshiping that music. Thank you for serving us in this way. And that is one of uh, my formative Pleasant Valley memories, my formative experiences. That was one of those moments when I really went, okay, I get the pulse of this church. I understand uh, that there's something different here and something special here that you guys have going on. And that has continued. It's something that we do well as a church, I think. That said, we need to continue to remind ourselves of the importance of this. Just because it's something that we've done well in the past doesn't mean we should stop talking about it or stop thinking about how we can do this better. And certainly with the year that we've had, if you're anything like me, uh, some of these fruits, some of these things that maybe we've been naturally good at over time, some of the things that maybe you've done without too much thought, now all of a sudden take a little bit more intentionality, take a little bit more thoughtfulness, things like patience and kindness and self-control and gentleness. This year has had a way at, of chipping away at some of those things. And, and so we need to be constantly reminding and reorienting ourselves and refocusing ourselves on the calling that we have in our lives. Paul tells us to rejoice, to find supernatural Christ-like joy in the midst of struggle. And then he tells us to be gentle. And gentle 
That's a tricky word. It's important that we understand what Paul is getting at here because the word gentle has different meanings to different people. Certainly, sometimes people hear the word gentle and they think of weakness. That gentleness is essentially being a floor mat for people to walk over. It's an excuse for not putting in hard work or taking, it's about taking the easy way out of things or being non-confrontational. That it's a synonym for cowardice. But the word that Paul uses here is a strong word. It's connected to the word humility, but maybe the, the, the simplest definition of the word gentle as it's used here is this. It's power under control. Power under control. Gentleness means that you may have, well, in fact, you do have the capacity to harm, to hurt, to attack, um, to be competitive. But what you do instead is choose to treat a person with dignity, and with care. To be gentle isn't to be weak. In fact, gentleness is a recognition of the strength that you do have, of the power that you do have, and a choice to use that power in a gentle way. Uh, one commentator suggested that the word could be seen as the word for a yielding of a judge, who instead of demanding the penalty required by strict justice, gives way to circumstances which call for mercy. It's about somebody who's got the power to make a choice and chooses to be gentle. So as we go through uh, this idea of gentleness today, I'll give you a bit of a roadmap for where we're headed for the rest of the sermon here. There are sort of three main points that I want to make with the time that we have left uh, that we're going to be heading through. So point number one is that gentleness is best understood through Jesus. Point number two Gentleness starts with us. And point number three, gentleness is possible because, as Paul says at the end of that verse, the Lord is near. So first, gentleness is best understood through looking at Jesus. Jesus is the best, more than the best. He is the perfect example of gentleness, the perfect model for us to follow, the perfect mindset, Paul says, for us to attain. If you are wrestling with or trying to understand how the distinction goes between gentleness and weakness, then take a look at Jesus. Jesus is the person to help us understand how those things are different. Jesus was gentle. Uh, he self-describes, he describes himself as gentle in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, in some of my favorite verses, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And we also see a clear picture of the gentleness of God uh, in the incarnation itself, in God coming to earth and how he chose to do that. Remember, Jesus could have shown up in any number of ways. It's not that God was limited in how he showed up. He could have shown up as a fully grown man, as a 30-year-old ready to jump into ministry. He didn't have to come as a baby, but he did. He brought the gospel to us as an infant. That was the choice of God. And what could be more gentle than a baby? It gives us a picture of God's character. In Jesus, though, we see that gentleness doesn't equal being passive or being quiet or being weak. There is a time for resistance. There is a time for action. Jesus is gentle, but he's not passive. He advocates for the poor. He speaks up for children. He speaks with power and strength and authority 
to religious figures uh, and leaders. But if we go back to that simple definition that I gave of gentleness earlier, then Jesus fulfills that perfectly. Jesus demonstrates power under control. He defended the weak and the powerless. He corrected, uh, he admonished the proud. But in all of these things, he controlled his power. He controlled the way he spoke. He took care in the way that he treated the people around him. Matthew 12, 20 uh, reminds us of the prophet Isaiah's words about the Messiah, uh, with Matthew, with, which Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfilled. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And Paul tells us, look what God has offered to you in gentleness. Look at the gift that you have been given. Look at the way that God has treated you, and now go and give that same gift to the people around you. And that is always how it works with spiritual life, with growth, with the fruit of the Spirit. That's the rhythm and process of growing in the character and mindset of God, is that you start with a deep personal understanding of what God has done for you, how God has treated you, the way that God has gifted you. And then that understanding empowers us to go out to others. To be a gentle person modeled after Jesus means that you recognize the fragility of the people around you. All of us are fragile in one way or another. Even the strongest of us have weak spots, have fault lines, have fractures, have fragility. And, and in a season like this, in the year that we've had, that fragility is possibly more on display, more brittle, uh, more weak than it's been in a long time. And so to be gentle means that you are safe to be around. Albert Hubbard wrote that a friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. Why were sinners so attracted to Jesus? Why did he find himself surrounded by those who were cast out of the church? Because the church, the religious elite, positioned themselves as judge over them and delighted in drawing lines and dishing out punishments and keeping law in order. But Jesus, who is the perfect judge, chose gentleness for those he came into contact with. Jesus' harshest words, his strongest condemnations, were always for those who used their power in a way that was designed to attack and hurt and push away others. Jesus models power under control. He models gentleness. He models love for those around us. Love for all, not just for the church, not just for our inner circles. And we are called to have that same mindset, to allow gentleness to become a defining characteristic of the church. So first, gentleness is best understood by looking at Jesus. Second, gentleness starts with us. Now, there are two ways that we could take this, two different ways that that could be understood. The first way we could talk about is the fact that our gentleness towards other people is not dependent on their gentleness towards us. We're called to be radically gentle even when the scales are not tilted in our favor, even when that gentleness isn't returned. Uh, I saw John Newfeld, that's an uncle to Pearl, uh, post a quote on his Facebook page from Theodore Beza, which read... It belongs to the Church of God to receive blows 
rather to inflict them. But she is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. I love that quote, but that is a hard road to follow, isn't it? It goes against our human nature to pick up our crosses, to walk the road of gentleness, even when it means losing, even when it means that we may hurt. But that isn't uh, what I'm going to focus on with this point. It's an interpretation of it that you could make. I think it's a true thing. But what I want to focus on is this. When I say that gentleness starts with us, what I mean is this. You are called to be gentle to all. And all includes you. You are called to be gentle to all. And all includes you. Some of us are very good, have cultivated the fruit of being gentle to those around us, of, of being gracious and merciful and open and patient with the people around us, but we find it almost impossible, very difficult to be gentle to ourselves. Brennan Manning says that one of the most shocking contradictions in Christian living is the intense dislike that many disciples have for themselves. They are more displeased, irritated, impatient, unforgiving, spiteful with their own shortcomings than they would ever dream of being with someone else's. They are fed up with themselves, sick of their own mediocrity, disgusted by their own inconsistency, bored by their own monotony. They would never judge any other of God's children with the savage self-condemnation with which they crush themselves. Through experiencing the relentless tenderness of Jesus, we learn, first of all, to be gentle with ourselves. Are you able to be gentle with yourself? Are you able to give yourself the same grace that you give to the people around you? In the end, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about our own mistakes, the way we treat ourselves is going to spill over into the way that we treat those around us. The good news of great joy the gospel, the forgiveness of Christ, the gentleness of God, isn't just for the world. It isn't just for your neighbor. It isn't just for you at the time of your conversion or at the time of your baptism. It's for you right now. And we need to understand that. So when you mess up and when you make a mistake, when you fail to achieve the standards that you set for yourself, when you need a break, when you can't hold it all, be gentle with yourself. First, gentleness is best understood by looking at Jesus. Second, gentleness starts with you. Third, gentleness is possible because the Lord is near. Why should we be gentle? Why can we be gentle? What empowers us to be gentle? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That can be taken in two ways as well. And I, I think it's fair to look at both of them. They both speak to and line up with what Paul is saying here and what Paul says elsewhere in his letters and in this book of Philippians. The first way to look at the Lord is near is this. Let your gentleness be evident to all because Jesus is coming back. God is coming again to bring about a new heaven and a new earth, to restore things to their rightful states, to take all that is broken and messed up and unjust in the world and to make it right. This is a statement of hope and of trust. God is coming back and he is going to take care of it. 
There are things that just aren't ever going to make sense in our world. There are issues that are not ever going to be fully solved. There are wars that are not ever going to be fully won here on earth in the in-between, in the time that we find ourselves in. It's not on your shoulders. It's not on my shoulders. It and we are held by God. So in the meantime, we can be gentle, understanding that God has it under control. One way to think about it is like this. Think of two uh, young boys, two brothers fighting. And at some point, let's say that the younger one bites the older one or something. And the parents hear this commotion and they come running into the room and they break up this fight. And all that older kid wants to do is retaliate, right? Is to attack his brother, is to find some retribution for the injustice that he has experienced. Now, a wise parent isn't going to walk into that room and say, all right, fine, let's make this fair. I'll hold your brother here. You bite him as hard as he bit you. A wise parent sits down at eye level with the older brother and says, do you trust me enough to leave this with me? Do you trust that I love you, that I can take care of this problem, that I will deal with your sibling justly? Are you willing to let go of this and trust that I can make this wrong thing right? That's what God asks of us. And if we trust God, the response in our lives will be that we become more gentle with the people around us, knowing that it isn't up to us to fix everything. We have a dad in heaven who has promised he's going to make this right. So we don't have to worry about it. We can be gentle. The other way of looking at this phrase, God is near to us, you've probably already guessed it, is that God isn't just coming to us in the future. He's here with us right now, in this moment. We are able to be gentle because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are able to take on the mindset of Christ because God is here in us, changing us from the inside out. He has made us a new creation, and at the same time, he is continuing to transform us, to make us more Christ-like. We have been given gentleness through God, and now with God's help, we are being called to offer that same gentleness to the people around us. And so, as we end this service, my challenge to you is to think through the different parts of your life. Think about how you interact with others online, on social media. Think about how you treat your family and friends. Think about how you think about your co-workers. Think about the way you feel in your heart about people that you disagree with. Even if you don't ever say anything, even if you don't ever express anything, think about the tension or the anger or the frustration that is inside of you when you come into situations where you are disagreeing with somebody. Think about the way that you treat yourself and ask God to grow and cultivate gentleness in your heart, in your mind your actions and pay attention as you go through your week about the reactions that you're having and the feelings that you're having towards the people around you. Let us pray together that we would understand the power that we have in Christ and that we would be able to wield that power with grace and with patience and with love and with control when we're dealing with those around us, when we're loving those around us. And when we're dealing with and loving ourselves. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Amen.